This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. What a great song to start off our message this morning. Take your Bibles out and turn to the book of Colossians, please, with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, there's one uh, somewhere close by to you. Let me encourage you, if you're here every Sunday, get in the habit of bringing your Bible with you to church as we spend time in it. We're going to be starting, kicking off in Colossians chapter 1, but we're going to bounce through the book several times, so you're going to be flipping pages real fast. So I hope that you're ready uh, to do that. Um, perhaps there's no better way uh, for to start talking about how to stand firm, and that's our, our series that we're in now, Stand Firm, and looking through the book of Colossians at the things that God says in this book about about our, our faith and about how we need to stand firm on some things and, and, and uh, as Steve said, put our roots down uh, deep uh, so that we can stand in some really trying times. Probably no better way to get started on that than to start with prayer. After his greeting, we spent time last Sunday in, in the introductory words of Paul in his greeting here when he said, you know, Paul and Timothy and and to the Colossian church, we greet you, you are saints and you're our brothers and sisters in Christ and grace and peace to you. Then he dives in to talk about prayer. And uh, and I really believe as we look at, you know, I watch, like you, I watch the news and I read the news and I see what's happening in our country and in our world and in our culture and, and how everything seems to be just going farther and farther away from the worldview of Scripture, and it has me, I, I, I'm just really concerned, and, uh, and it gets me kind of sad uh, when I think about a lot of things. But I also know this, God's called you and I to be strong as believers. He's called us to have, have faith. He's called us to believe, and there is no way we can be strong for our families, for our church, for our communities, for our country, for this world that in, some, in such desperate need for what God has to bring for the gospel and the hope we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, there's no way we can be strong without, without a real grasp of what prayer is, without being a praying Christian, being a praying church, being a praying united body in Christ throughout this world. You may be a young Christian. One of the great things one of the things that keeps us hopping around this church is we have a lot of young Christians here, and uh, and and that's kind of like you know, that's kind of like um, running a daycare sometimes, you know, and and uh, with uh, with just a lot of little ones running around and trying to keep up with them. I was I've talked with a couple people recently about about little ones, and they talk about you know their children or their their sons. Well, I was talking with a fellow at breakfast this morning, and he's got a little toddler son, and he says, and he's all boy. You know, I said, man, I know what you mean. I said, I got a grandson. And I said, they're so different from little girls, you know, in that these, these boys are, they're just, they don't stop. And they're not trying to be mean or do anything bad. They just get into everything and then look up at you and smile, you know, and, and they're, they're just being themselves. We have a church with a lot of young believers and, uh, and that's an exciting thing. Um, and you, you might not know as a young Christian, you say, I don't know much about prayer. Oh, let me say to you, you're not going to learn it all today. You're not going to kind of, here's everything you need to know about prayer. Not going to happen today. But Paul does have some great lessons in Colossians for us. So let's take a look at them. 
If you've got your notes out, jot this down. Number one is this. Prayer includes thanking God the Father. Thanking God the Father. Going to look, let's start with me at verse 3, Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Verse 12, drop down to that verse. Giving thanks to the Father who's enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Turn over to chapter 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of the Messiah to which you were called, also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Thanks, thanks, thanksgiving. Over and over, Paul talks about giving thanks to God the Father. Jesus directed, taught us to direct our prayers to who? Matthew chapter 6, that model prayer that we have. He said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who's in heaven. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the Trinity because that's a great, great study that Paul gives us here in Colossians. Uh, The Trinity, that that God is three in one and how each person in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how how they all have their own particular roles as God. And one of the Father's roles, you know, what does God do? You know, these Bibles talks about this throne in heaven and God's there and but God's there, but that God's, you know, you can't see him. He's invisible. What does he do? One of the things that the father does is he hears our prayers. We take our prayers to the father. That means we talked last week about saints and Paul said to the saints. And we talked about who are saints. So he said, believers are saints in Jesus Christ. You are a saint. One of the things that we know is that we don't pray to saints. You know, it's like if you came up to me and said, uh, dear Rick, who art in Nag's head, uh, I think, you know, um, and, and I got this need and, and, and I need you to meet this need for me and protect me from the evil one and don't lead me into temptation. And you start coming to me with those kind of, I'm going to say, whoa, 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 who are you talking to here? I don't have the ability to do those things. I'm not here to meet your needs and, and you know, protect you from temptation. That's, you know, that's not what I, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm just like you. We don't pray to saints, nor do we pray to our dearly departed. Oh, Grandma, I know you're up there, and you're having a great time in heaven, and, and, uh, and if you'll just look down on me and smile, which can, Grandma, would you put in a good word for me up there? Grandma can't do that. That's not what she's there doing. She, she doesn't have time to mess with you. Right? She's having too much fun enjoying heaven, to be concerned with what's going on with you right now. So we don't pray to saints. We don't pray to dearly, the dearly departed. You and I, are, who are believers, have the privilege to go directly to God the Father with our prayers. The Bible teaches, by the way, last week we said the Bible says we're saints. The Bible also teaches this. This will blow some of your minds, that you're also a priest. We're priests. We belong to this priesthood, Peter said. And the writer to the Hebrews talks about the priesthood that we have. We are, we are priests and and that we're all part of a priesthood. Yet Jesus is our one and only high priest. 
And Hebrews 4.16 says that as priests, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. We go right to God. What do we do? Well, we give thanks. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. Now notice that it doesn't say, uh, look at the verse, it doesn't say for everything, give thanks. What do you mean? Trials and true, you know, if I go through trials, should I thank him? James says I should. But should I thank him for everything? Should I thank him for these crazy people in this world that go and and kill people and and, and molest people and, and wreak all kinds of havoc and evil in this world? Do I thank God for that, you know? Do I thank him for disease that takes people away, little children? And, and do I thank him for the earthquakes that killed all those hundreds of people last week? So do I say, gee, God, that's great. Thank you for that, for killing those people as if he did. We don't thank him for everything. You, know, you don't thank him for tragedies. You don't thank him for the acts of sinful men. Of course not. But... You can thank him in those things, whether it's happening to you or to someone else. What do you mean? You give him thanks that you know because he's sovereign that somehow God's going to prove himself to be everything you need, to be everything the world needs, that somehow God's going to use his people to come into situations and share the good news of Christ and bring people light in their darkness and use even the worst of life to give opportunities in this world for him to be glorified. You can thank him in whatever, in everything, he says. So when you pray, pray to God the Father. Give him thanks. Give him thanks for the things in life that you welcome. Give him thanks for the things in your life that you don't understand, but you know are going to develop and build your faith, bring you closer to him. Give Giving thanks us reminds us very simply when I say thank you God for and we and thank you God in for whatever and in whatever it reminds us not to take my life and especially my blessings for granted. The second thing Paul's going to say in this book about prayer is that prayer includes petitions for others. Petitions praying for others. You go back to chapter 1 and again verse 3 He says, when we pray for you. We give thanks to God the Father when we pray for you. If you look at verse 9 again, we haven't stopped praying for you. Chapter 4, verse 12, he mentions one of their own, a fellow by the name of Epaphras. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you. He was there with Paul while Paul was in prison. He says he sends his greeting, and then look at this. He's always contending for you in his prayers. Prayer includes petitions for others. Embedded within the Christian faith is the godly ideal of selflessness. That's the opposite of selfishness. The opposite of the Christian ideal is to be selfish. But how often, I'm going to ask you, we're going to think about our prayer life here for a little bit this morning. How often are our prayers kind of throwing up pleas and cries to God of God, I need you to help me out right now. 
You know, we pray about our own stuff and, and maybe nothing else with the situation that we're going through. And it's not that we, that we shouldn't pray for ourselves. Jesus certainly taught that we should in his model prayer in Matthew 6. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one, so forth. Well, I mean, those are prayers. That's something I'm praying for me uh, when I pray to God. But, you know, have you ever been around people in life, especially maybe you meet somebody for the first time or you see somebody after not meeting them for a long time and you have conversation with, with them and all they want to talk about is what's happening in their lives and all they want to talk about is them, you know, and they, and they go through all the stuff about themselves and they never stop to say, by the way, how are things with you? What's going on? And you ever around people that all they want to talk about is me, me, me? You know, and after a while, you kind of get tired of that kind of conversation. Can you imagine what it must be like for God if all he ever hears from us is me, me, me? So we are to pray for other people, not be self-centered. Now, Paul, did Paul pray? Ask God to help him out and ask these Colossians to help pray for his, his own needs? And he did. If you look at chapter 4, In verse 3, he says, at the same time, pray for also for us. Us would be Paul and Timothy and maybe Epaphras, who's there with them as well. Pray for us that God may open a door to us for the message, the message being the gospel. If you look at at chapter 4, verse 18, he ends this book with this little simple, remember my imprisonment. Remember me while I'm in prison. Would you do that? It's talking about remembering me how? In, in your prayers. Don't forget to pray for me. He does, you know, one, one of these things he asked for himself is to pray for them, ask them to pray for him so that he can preach the gospel. I mean, how selfish of a prayer request is that? Would you pray for me so that God will open the door so I can continue preaching the gospel? He's, is he really praying for himself? Uh, he's praying for other people that they might be saved. And then he does that, that very humble one little liner, remember my imprisonment. He doesn't go into all the long stuff. Boy, it's tough in prison. It's cold. It's hot. They turned the cable off because of, t- of budget cuts. They did all this. He doesn't go into all those kind of things. He just says, hey, would you remember me while I'm in prison? What I find so interesting and so convicting is that Paul's prayers for others. We're going to read some of his prayers today. Paul's prayers for others have a depth to them that I typically have not seen, don't see, don't have an experience in what I'll just call our American church culture. And I've been immersed in American church culture my whole life pretty much. But they, his prayers have a depth that I, I just don't, see much of. And here's what I mean. When we share our prayer requests with one another, whether it's in our connection groups, and part of what we do in our connection groups is pray, um, amongst our ministry teams, if you're on a Sunday ministry team here, one of the things that your team does before you really get into what you're doing is you gather together and pray. Uh, Whether it's... um, with everybody in the congregation, and when we put our prayer requests up on our Facebook page, we have a Facebook page that's very active, and every Sunday we'll say, what are some things we can pray with you and for you about this week? And people will post those things all through the week. Most of what I see and hear, 
just being honest with you, is praying for sick people, praying for people that are having physical problems, having surgeries and, and different things. Now, is there anything wrong with praying for sick people, people that are having operations? And what, is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. The Bible tells us to pray for the sick. But we should be praying for a whole lot more than that. Listen to Paul's prayer for this church and see if you don't see a depth there, a difference in his praying than in most of what we experience. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, now what reason is he talking about? You have to bounce back to verse 8. This reason is, we heard about your love in the Spirit. And for this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Here's what we're praying. We're asking God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and, with, and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like what you pray for your brothers and sisters when you pray? Is that, are those the kind of things that you pray about for one another? Do we ask God to work in our hearts? Do we ask God to change us? Do we ask God to empower us? Do we ask God to grow us? Do we pray for our friends and our families to come to know him better, or do we only pray, it seems, for physical needs? Just from Paul's example, here and in other places, it seems to me, and maybe I'm way off base here, but I don't think I am, it seems to me as though our prayers in, in 21st century American church culture, our prayers can be pretty shallow in comparison. Our prayers, especially in our connection groups, need to move past praying for Aunt Sally's bunions. In the group that I'm part of, been a part of for a long time, the guys there do just that. And, and it's not unusual to sit around in a circle with this group of guys and, and one of them say, look, guys, I'm, I'm really struggling this week with this. You know, my boss is, is a pain where I don't need one, and I want to react and respond in a Christ-like way to him. It's not unusual for our guys to express needs like this, admitting their weaknesses and calling out to their brothers in the Lord, would you help me with this? Would you pray with me about that? That kind of trust and that kind of interdependency, I believe, seems to be a part of the church, a part of the Christian life that we need to understand, that we need to uncover, that we need to experience more. So let me challenge you. A lot of you are in connection groups. We're going to talk about our groups in the next couple of weeks and encourage you, if you're not part of one, to plug into one. But let me encourage you in your groups. Let me give you a practical suggestion about, about when we pray together. And that is this, I'm going to encourage you to spend less time in your group meetings talking about what you need to pray for and spend that time instead actually praying. Because I know what happens in some groups. 
Does anybody have anything you'd like to pray about? And we pull out our journals and our notebooks and we'll spend 10, 15, 20 minutes, sometimes even more, writing down as we go around the room what everybody, all of Aunt Sally's bunions. And we'll write all those things down and then, boy, look at the time. Uh, so-and-so, would you close us in prayer? Let me encourage you, instead of doing that, pull out your notebooks, your journals, whatever you're writing your prayer requests down on, but say, hey, let's spend the next 15 or 20 minutes in prayer and go around the room and let those who would like to pray, pray. And here's what you'll discover. You'll learn what the prayer requests are by the prayers. They'll come out. You'll hear their hearts. And I think it's okay, church, for you, and if you'd feel kind of strange about this, you got your pen in your hand and you listen and you hear a prayer, I think it's okay to write it down while they're praying. And if you do feel strange about that, just open one eye, okay? But write it down so that you'll remember it throughout the week and you can continue to pray for that. Spend time praying, not talking about prayer. And what we, does that make sense to you? Is that convicting to some of you here this morning? Pray. Let's pray. Let's spend time doing just that. Prayer is thanking God. All right, number three. Prayer and pray is petition for others. Number three, prayer takes effort, discipline, and alertness. Effort, discipline, and alertness. Again, chapter one, Verse 9, look at the effort here. Paul says, we haven't stopped praying for you. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it. Chapter 4, verse 12, again, speaking of this fellow Epaphras, who's one of them, he is always contending for you in his prayers. We're going to talk about what that word means in a moment. He's contending for you in his prayers. Drop down to verse 13. He works hard for you. How is he working hard for them? In his prayers. He's saying it's hard work. My freshman year of college, we were asked, student body was asked to commit ourselves to praying around the clock for revival. Let's pray for revival. And, and they did a thing. We've done this in the past here at a church. Set up a 24-hour thing, and you can sign off for one 15-minute block, and each room, dorm room would sign up. And we're going to pray in those 15 minutes. And it was 24 hours. And so that meant there were people, college students, getting up in the middle of the night uh, to pray together for revival. I don't know how it happened, but one of my roommates signed us up for 6 a.m., And we actually, in our room, uh, we had a three-leveled bunk bed. One, two, three. I was up on the top bunk. You didn't sit up real fast on that bunk bed without hitting your head, you know, but I was up on the top bunk. And so we, he, our roommate, his name was Jerry, said, I signed us up for 6 o'clock. Because, you know, that's kind of get up, we'll pray, and then get up and get dressed, go eat breakfast, whatever, and the day begins. Problem was, the alarm clock would go off, and we'd all wake up. It would wake us up. But here's where we, we, the discipline didn't come in. Now that I think about it, you know, and I look back at those days, what we should have done to pray, we should have gotten out of bed. 
We didn't. I'm up on the top bunk, and the alarm goes off, and you wake up, and okay, time. Hey, Jerry, you get it started, and it'll kind of move up, and you start, and then Keith, and then, then me. You know what's coming next? I listened to Jerry pray. He was the most spiritual among us. You know, he signed us up for this time with all good intentions. And Jerry would start praying, and the next thing I'd know, it was 30 minutes later, and I'm waking up. I'd fall asleep, you know. In fact, the guy below me, he fell asleep most of the time too. And we get real frustrated about that. Listen, a real prayer life takes more than good intentions. It takes personal discipline. It takes effort. It takes alertness. It reminds me of that story of Jesus' disciples when he told them to, remember when they went up to the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, uh, you guys stay here while I go off to pray. I want you to stay here and I want you to do two things. I want you to watch and pray. And once again, if you're going to watch, you can't watch with your eyes closed, but you can pray with your eyes open. I want you to watch and pray. And you know how the story goes. Twice he comes back and both times he comes back and he finds his disciples doing what? sleeping. He's off by himself and he hears Peter snoring. Come on, come on, guys. Let's be genuine and real and admit something here. There are a lot of things that I can do for an hour and stay alert. There are a lot of things. I mean, there's hardly anything that can happen that I can't do for an hour without staying alert. We watched as a family last night, we watched a one-hour documentary on nutrition at our house. You know, and I, I pretty much stayed alert during that whole hour. We can do those things. You can too. But let me ask you this. How many of you can say, I can spend time talking to God for an hour and not get distracted and I can stay focused and alert in that conversation with him? You ever tried that? That's what prayer is, by the way, talking to God. Here's a question. Have you been, how many of you, this is fun now. How many of you this past week were tempted to sin? Would you raise your hand? Now, if you don't raise your hand, you're lying and you're a sinner too, all right? I was. I got both my hands and 10 fingers up, all right? We're all tempted to sin, aren't we? There's something about prayer, Jesus said, about alert praying, he said that that helps us resist temptation. When he said to those disciples in the garden, he said in Mark 4, 14, 38, stay awake and pray. Why? So that you won't enter into temptation. Now, oh, does that mean that God's saying, if you struggle with this or with that, a temptation to sin, pray about it? Well, yeah, I think that's part of what that means, but I think it goes beyond that. I think he's saying that if we are disciplined, if we are alert, we are focused when we pray about anything and about everything. One of the things that our conversation, when you're talking to God a lot, a lot it sharpens our awareness of the weaknesses that, with, that we struggle with and makes us stronger when temptation does come our way because temptation's coming your way. It's coming my way, and it doesn't text us, and it doesn't tweet to us, and it doesn't post on our emails and says, by the way, at 3.15 this afternoon, you're going to be tempted to sin. 
It doesn't come with warning. So we need to be alert in our prayers. Paul said, back here in chapter 4, in, in verse um, in verse, chapter 4, verse 2, Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. What does that mean? That word devote means to persist. It means to continue in prayer. It's like when Jesus said, knock, seek and find. You know, he, he said, to do those things. Keep over and over. Don't quit asking. Devote yourself. Be persistent. He, he said about Epaphras in verse 12 that Epaphras contended for the Colossians in prayer. You know what that word in the Greek is, that word contended? Probably not. (laughs) The word there contended in verse 12 is the Greek word, and see if you can't figure out what what we get from this Greek word. It's not really hard. The Greek word is agonizomai. Contended. It means to agonize, struggle, to wrestle in prayer for them. Prayer, why is that? Prayer is a, is a battleground. Again, I'm reminded the picture comes in my mind of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, agonizing in prayer about this cup that he's about to take and the cross he's about to die on. He agonized about God's will. He wrestled about that. Why is it a fight? Why is it a, a, a you know, we talk about prize fighters contending for the title. Why is it a battle like that? It's a battle because here, please understand this. When you're praying, not only are you talking to God, but somebody else is listening. Somebody else has access to the throne of God because he goes there and he accuses you and I of sin. And that's the devil. He wants to fight against your prayers. He doesn't want you to pray. He wants you to try to figure it out on your own. Prayer is a, is a wrestling match and he'll work the devil will to keep you from it. What does devoted prayer look like, by the way? Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. He said, pray without ceasing. Okay, Rick, that might be easy for you because you got this job where you work two hours on Sunday morning and then you can spend the whole rest of the week praying, right? That's what some of you think. Does this mean I have to be in prayer 24-7? And the answer is, of course not. No one could do that unless they never had a job, they never had a child, they never had a distraction of some sort. But you know what? We probably could pray more if we would just put some things down or turn some things off. Great place to pray, by the way, is when you're traveling in your car. Just don't close your eyes, okay, if you're driving. But, you know, driving down the road and turn off the radio and spend time on the road talking to God. After all, again, that's what prayer is, is conversation with God. Now, some of us are really animated when we talk. We move our hands and, you know, we do all that kind of stuff. And we, you know, just kind of, as we converse, we, we get into our conversations. If you're one of those kind of people while you're praying and you're having this talk with the Almighty and you start getting real animated and there's nobody else in the car with you, don't be surprised if people pulling up beside you kind of stare. You know, look at you kind of, what are you doing? I do that with people, by the way. I love when, when I pull up beside somebody and they've got the music going, you know, and they're singing this song and they, they're oblivious to everybody else around them and they're singing the song and they're just really getting into it and I pull up beside them and I just honk the horn a little bit, beep, beep, and they look over at me and I go, you know, let them know, good, good job, good concert there. 
Number four. Number four, prayer goes to God through Jesus. Verse 17. Look at the last part of that verse. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Through who? The Lord Jesus. Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and everything includes prayers. Now, earlier I said we don't pray to saints. Pray to saints. We also don't pray to pray to or through anyone else either, not even Mary. She has no power to answer prayers. In John chapter 2, that story of the wedding at Cana, people came to Mary, gosh, what do we do? We're out of wine. And, and their conclusion finally was Jesus said, look, let, let me deal with this. And Mary said, look, this is beyond my ability. Just do whatever he says. And by the way, that's great counsel when people come to you and say, I'm having this struggle, this issue in my life, this problem. I don't know how to work it out. Would you pray for me? A great answer is yes, I'll pray for you. But also, let's be sure we look in the word of God to see what God says to do about it. Because sometimes the answer to your prayer is right here in black and white. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, whatever you ask In my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, what does that mean? Does that mean if I tack in Jesus' name on the end of my prayers that it's like magic words and God has to make it happen? I said, in Jesus' name, God. I did that yesterday, by the way. I had a prayer about something that I thought might happen during the day. God, please don't let this take place. Please let it be different. And when I got to where I was going, I found that it was exactly what I thought was going to happen. And God did not answer my prayer. Was it because I didn't say in Jesus' name? No. God had some lessons he wanted me to learn yesterday and patience and everything else. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It, <coughs> excuse me. It means your words are reflecting his will in your life. It means you're asking what he would ask for. You're asking on his behalf. Okay, well, do I always know then that what I'm praying for is God's will? I don't. You ever prayed for somebody who was dying of a disease, cancer or something, and God, would you please... God, please heal that person in Jesus' name, and that person died. Has that ever happened to you? Sure. By the way, some people say, yeah, but, but, but death is the ultimate healing, right? No. Death is death. And it's certainly not the ultimate healing if the person who dies, dies and goes to hell. So let's not say, well, God did heal them. He took them to heaven. He didn't heal them. He resurrected them, maybe. He transferred them. He didn't heal them. See, we can't use Jesus' name as a way to manipulate God into doing our will. He sees right through that. But if we're growing in Christ, if we're living in his will, if we're filled with his spirit so that he controls our thoughts and our words, get this, here's what will happen we won't likely ask for things that are contrary to his will. But what if I don't know what his will is, Rick? Then here's how you pray. You pray in Jesus' name, God will your will, isn't that what Jesus said when we pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know what that might be in this situation, Lord, but that's what I'm asking for. You see, he doesn't mind hearing our heart's desires, but please understand, 
Your heart's desires are not always his. Sometimes he answers our prayers, yes. Sometimes he answers our prayers, no. Sometimes he answers our prayers, not yet. Sometimes he says, I got a better idea. So to pray in Jesus' name really is a surrender to God's will in our prayers. So this morning, let me close this part with this question. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? We pray to God the Father, give him thanks. We pray for the needs of others. It takes effort and discipline and being alert to pray, Paul says. And as we're going to see through this series, everything, in everything, prayer like it all, all the rest of it, is wrapped up in Jesus and our relationship with him. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.